Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. If you're with us for the first time today, we've been going through a series this month with the exception of Mother's Day, and this series has been entitled, In the Meantime. And what the question really about this series, the question we ask is, what do we do in the meantime when things are going really bad? What is the believer in Christ, what is the body of Christ to be doing when everything else in the world or our particular world seem to be going in the wrong direction. Habakkuk, a three-chapter book in the Old Testament, a prophet of God, who is a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah, which you probably know better than you know Habakkuk, he writes this three-chapter prophecy, and he asks God two questions throughout the courses of the first and second chapter. And the question that he asked God initially was, why do evil people prosper while your people seem to suffer so greatly? Those of us who have never bowed down to any false idol or God, why do we get the brunt of all of the bad stuff in the world? While it seems like those who do wicked and who are violent get off scot-free. Does that happen in our society today? Are people being let out of prison or jail that are hardened criminals just to offend again? And those of us who are trying to do things the right way tend to get slapped with the hardest verdicts. So Habakkuk's asking these questions. And then he comes down to the end of his book, which bears his name. In this last chapter, he basically, after having God have have, have, have answered him, says, all right, God, I trust you. I, I trust you ultimately. There's nothing that would ever make me trust you less. I just have these questions. I don't understand But even in the areas I don't understand, I still will trust you no matter what. In preparation for this series, I've been reading a book, and I finished it this past week, called Heinz Feet on High Places. It's an older book. How many of you are familiar with Heinz Feet on High Places by Hannah Hernard? Okay, it was written in 1979, and it's basically it's a novel with spiritual undertones and overtones. And I'm not one to read novels. I like to read more nonfiction stuff, theological stuff, biblical stuff, church history stuff. But I knew about this book because I'd read it a long time ago, either in college or in high school. And it didn't, I was telling Sarah Lee, my wife, this week, I said it didn't mean as much to me then because I was so young. And not that it wouldn't mean something to you who are younger, I would suggest you read it if you get a chance to, but the reality is now that I have several years under my belt of life experience and have gone through different circumstances and situations, not as many as some of you have, I can relate more to the story. 
And it's about this character by the name Much Afraid. That's her name. Her feet are all lame and gnarly. She can barely walk. Her face is contorted and tense. But she has a desire for the good shepherd, her beloved, who comes by down in this valley where she is every day. She hears his voice. It's sweet to the ear. She longs to be with him. And her beloved says, you can be with me. The good shepherd says, yeah, I'll take you to the high places if you want. You just need to be able to come to me and surrender to me. And she says, yeah, I want to do it. And so after a couple failed attempts, she finally makes her way to the base of the mountain and begins her journey. And her journey, God gives her two companions, suffering and sorrow. And she's weirded out by this, to say the least. She's like, wait, wait a minute. Why don't I have courage and bravery? You give me suffering and sorrow as my companions? And she almost turns back before she even starts on the journey. But she says, you know what, God, I trust you. Okay, if this, if this is what it means, then I'll, I'll do what it takes. And she begins the journey. And the journey starts slow and easy. But then she begins to encounter some valleys along the way. The path doesn't consistently continue up. Sometimes it takes dips through these chasms and valleys, and there's a valley of humiliation, the sea of loneliness that she has to walk beside, and her companions are with her along the way, giving her strength when she has none, and carrying her many times when she can't even walk on her own. You see, she longs for the high places where God's going to transform her to heal her feet to change and transform her into a new creation. I don't know why it settles with me <clears throat> in a different way now other than the fact, as I said earlier, there's different life experiences that I can now relate to as I read her story. Through many different circumstances, God leads her to this place, to the boundary of that other world. She doesn't realize all along her legs have begun to strengthen, her demeanor has become changed. But then in a moment where she has to sacrifice everything, to lay herself on the altar and to have every bit of her selfishness removed, is not until she experiences the greatest transformation of all. And at that point, she gets a new name. And she begins to see the world around her so much differently. She begins to see her family members who had held her back and held her down, bitterness and resentment, family members of her, craven fear. She begins to see Coward, one of her other friends, from the high places, and she looks back and she says, those people that I most hated, that I, I couldn't stand to be around, now I'm looking at them and, and she's telling the shepherd, don't they deserve to be with you? Don't they deserve to experience the goodness that I've experienced? Who's gonna tell them? 
And at the end, this transformed woman, glory and grace, makes her way down the mountain to the valleys below to share the love of God with those who need it most. You see, Habakkuk knows this. He knows this instinctively because he has dwelt with and loved his God his whole life. He has come to know that though God might be mysterious, he is good and trustworthy. Even when things don't completely line up in his own mind, God somehow comes through for him at the right moment. In his book entitled, Winning the New Civil War, Robert Dugan writes, the time was the 19th of May, 1780. The place was Hartford, Connecticut. The day has gone down in the New England history as a terrible foretaste of Judgment Day. At noon, the skies turned from blue to gray, and by mid-afternoon, they had blackened altogether so densely that in this religious age of early America, men fell on their knees and begged a final blessing before the end came. They had to know, or they thought, that the end of the world was coming. They'd seen storms before, but it had never been anything like this, so it must have been the coming judgment of God. The Connecticut House of Representatives was in session at the time, and as some men fell down and others clamored for an immediate adjournment so they could get home, the Speaker of the House, by the name of Colonel Davenport, came to his feet and in a bolsterous voice said these words, The day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it's not, there is no cause for adjournment, and if it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. So I wish, therefore, that candles be brought in so that we can continue the business of our day. How important is it to be faithful to God? How important is it when times get tough, when life is difficult, and those things that are around us seem to beat us to a pulp, and we're bruised and sore? How much more important is it for us to trust that God is still in control, that he is still good, that he is still merciful, and he's still got this? I contend that it is more important when we are at our lowest to remember that God is good and trustworthy than when we are at the highest point on the mountain of our lives. And no matter where we are in this journey, it's important for us to remain faithful. Habakkuk chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Habakkuk closes out his writing with this. And it's actually a prayer that he prays. And it was often sung as well. He says, I've heard all about you, Lord. If you notice, that's all caps. Again, I remind you, that is the technical name for God we call Yahweh. I am that I am. I've heard all about you, Yahweh. 
I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, think about this in our day and age as I'm reading. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. I see God moving across the deserts from Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens and, and the earth is filled with His praise. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from His hands where His awesome power is hidden. Pestilence marches before Him. Plague follows close behind. When he, stop, when he stops, the earth shakes. And when he looks, the nations tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains and levels the eternal hills. He is the eternal one. I see the people of Cushan in distress and the nation of Midian trembling in terror. Was it in anger, Lord, that you struck the rivers and parted the sea? Were you displeased with them? No. You were sending your chariots of salvation. You brandished your bow and your quiver of arrows. You split open the earth with flowing rivers. The mountains watched and trembled. Onward swept the raging waters. The mighty deep cried out, lifting its hands in submission. The sun and the moon stood still in the sky as your brilliant arrows flew and your glittering spear flashed. You marched across the land in anger and trampled the nations in your fury. You went out to rescue your chosen people to save your anointed ones and you crushed the heads of the wicked and stripped their bones from head to toe. With his own weapons, you destroyed the chief of those who rushed out like a whirlwind, thinking Israel would be easy prey. You trampled the sea with your horses, and the mighty waters piled high. Oh, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. He makes my hinds, he makes hinds feet so I can walk upon the high places. Now here's the takeaway. God sustains the faithful in times of trouble and trials. God sustains the faithful in times of trouble and trials. 
And those of you that may be experiencing or have experienced times of trouble and trials may struggle in your faithfulness. You may have a lot of doubts that tend to go into your mind and, and really wreak havoc on you. But it behooves us to remain faithful because he is never unfaithful. What I want you to understand from this final chapter is this. Instead of resentment, Habakkuk trusted God. How many of you have ever, res- you don't have to raise your hands. This is rhetorical. But how many of you have ever struggled with resentment or bitterness toward God? I mean, you, you've been hit with rejection. You've been stomped. You've been ridiculed. You've been mocked. Maybe you've lost a loved one to a tragic illness or a tragic circumstance. Maybe you yourself have gotten caught up in, in the throes of addiction or addictive behavior to any number of things. And you think, God, I've asked you to take this from me. I've asked you to not allow, I've asked you to protect my family. I have asked you to set a hedge of protection around those I love and even myself. Why, God, did this happen? Why does this happen? And why do these things happen? to so many of us who remain faithful to you? Why are we not the beacon light for those in this world around us by showing them how good life is? And the problem is we see from a wrong vantage point. Yes, God is a God of healing, a God of love, but just like He is a God of healing and a God of love, sometimes... He knows that we can become stronger through hardships and trials. And it's not like he's up there rubbing his hands like this, trying to see how he can keep you pushed down. It's because he knows there's something more in you than you know of yourself. And in order for that to come out, He's got to press into you a little bit more to turn the heat up, to purify you so that the slag can come off. But it's not fun going through those moments. It's never fun experiencing the pain and the worry and the frustration of this world. And we have one of two choices to resent that it's happening and to resent the one that allows it to happen or to accept it and embrace it as a part of the journey that's making me stronger so that I can have feet to stand in the places that he has created me for. The walk of faith is not easy. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, from his own lips. The way to the kingdom of God is very narrow and it's extremely difficult, and the gate is narrow as well. And he says, Few people take that pathway. But he says, You look at the other road, the one that's wide. Many people take it, it's the road of destruction. Having been in the ministry for going on 24 years now, I've seen many people start off on the journey of the narrow way. 
and find it very difficult. And I hear them say, I never signed up for this. I thought God was different. I, I, thought, I thought it would be so much different than this. And like the Israelites in the wilderness, having come out of Egypt, they look back and they say, in slavery at least we had three meals a day. We had plenty of water to drink, and now Moses has led us into the wilderness to die of starvation and thirst. This God that led us out obviously doesn't care enough about us because look where we are. You can't grow crops out here in the desert. Have you ever felt that way? But it's in the desert where life's lessons are learned the best. I, I challenge you, read from Genesis to Malachi, the whole Old Testament. Where did people experience the most significant amount of growth and wisdom? It was in the wilderness. Do you know what tended to happen when things got really good? They started to take God for granted. They started to think, oh, look what I've done for myself. Pat myself on the back. Look at the success I've become. Look at all the money and wealth and fame and fortune I've gotten, I've gathered. It's all about me. And that's what happens even in our day. When things are going good, when we're on cloud nine, when, when, when things are firing on all cylinders, we think, we have this tendency to slide into a coasting mentality and to start to kind of whoop, whoop, look at me, kind of, you know what I'm saying? Look at how good I've become. And instead of giving glory to God, and I'm not talking about like those on the stages where they're getting all of these accolades and awards, I want to thank Jesus for my award because I can curse like the best of them in a rap song or whatever you want to do, right? I'm an old fuddy-duddy. Get over it. But the reality is, you know, I can speak one thing out of one side of my mouth and another out of the other. James has something to say about that. The tongue is a flame set on, on fire by hell itself. How is it I can speak, speak curses toward a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, but then praise God in the next breath? I often think about that on Sunday mornings when we're here as the body of Christ together and we're singing these songs and it forces me to say, have I said anything unkind this week? Are the words that I'm praising God with, with my lips, do they reflect the words that I speak throughout the week? And I have to be honest with you, they don't always. Because I get frustrated, I experience difficulties, I, I see injustices and those kind of things that really get my dander up and, I, and I, what I end up doing is I start to resent without even realizing I'm sliding into resentment and bitterness. But if, if you're a student of history, you know, God's people, his remnant, those that have remained faithful through, through some of the most tough Toughest times of life are the ones who said, Lord, 
I trust you. I trust you. I don't know why things are happening the way that they are, but I do believe you'll bring something good out of this mess. And even if you don't, I'm still going to worship you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing in front of Nebuchadnezzar because they refused to bow down to this tall idol statue, golden statue. Everybody in the Babylonian kingdom was required to do that. Well, word got back to Nebuchadnezzar that his three young leaders in his administrative court were not bowing down. And so in front of Nebuchadnezzar, with Nebuchadnezzar holding their life in his hands, staring at the furnace that's blazing with fire, and Nebuchadnezzar saying, I'm going to throw you in that if you don't bow down. Where's your allegiance? And they said, you need to do what's, what you think's best. Throw us in the fire. Our God is able to rescue us from the fire. And these are the words that have stuck with me from that passage in Daniel. But even if he does not rescue us from the flames, we still will not bow to your idol. Have you ever done that? Even if he doesn't come through the way we think he should, I'm still not going to turn my back on him. Because I trust him. One of the other things that we learn from this passage is actually more indirect than direct, directly connected to this passage. Did you know, in fairness, by this time in Israel's history, the northern kingdom, which was called Ephraim or Israel, or the northern kingdom, was completely wiped out by the Assyrians. The Assyrians were overtaken by the Babylonians, who then came down to the two remaining tribes of, of Judah, Benjamin and Judah. And they were encroaching upon the land, pressing in the capital city, Jerusalem, which was the, the bastion of worship and, and, and Jewish culture, was in, about to be destroyed by the Babylonians <clears throat> during Habakkuk's time and Jeremiah's time and even Isaiah's time, for that matter. And God had told them before they even entered the promised land, before they even got allotments of land and had their towns and, and tribes, before they even went into the land through the Jordan River, God had said, Fair warning, I will bless you first off if you remain faithful to me. Your descendants will continue to grow. You'll be strong and prosperous. I will protect you from all of your enemies. However, if you turn from me, if you break the covenant that I have with you, if you reject all that I've offered you, then I will draw my hand of mercy and I'll become your enemy, not because I want to, but because that's where you've placed me. So in fairness, God warned his people of the consequences of breaking his covenant. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 28, verses 47 through 52. These are Moses' words speaking on behalf of God. If you do not serve the Lord your God with joy and enthusiasm for the abundant benefits that you have received, you will serve your enemies 
whom the Lord will send against you, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and all the other tribes that surrounded the nation. You will be left hungry, thirsty, naked, lacking in everything. The Lord will put an iron yoke on your neck, oppressing you with, uh, harshly until he has destroyed you. That doesn't seem right. But here's the reality. You choose God and live a life of freedom from sin and death. You live a life, in the Old Testament, you live a life of freedom. I'm giving you this land. I'm going to make you prosperous. You will be a light to the nations. But if you turn from me, this is what's going to happen. The Lord will bring a distant nation against you from the end of the earth, and it will swoop down on you like a vulture. Think of how many hundreds and hundreds of years this was written before. It's a nation whose language you do not understand. A fierce and heartless nation that shows no respect for the old and no pity for the young. Its armies will devour your livestock and crops and you will be destroyed. They will leave you no grain, no wine, no olive oil, calves or lambs and you will starve to death. They will attack your cities until all the fortified walls in your land, the walls you trusted to protect you, are knocked down. How ironic is that? The walls they trusted to protect them really were not protections at all. It was only God himself. They will attack all the towns in the land the Lord your God has given you, has given you. And then just a couple chapters later, listen to what he says in Deuteronomy 30. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. I still think God gives those promises today. But I don't think it's like we expect. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you, I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long, a long and good life in the land that you're crossing in the, the Jordan to occupy. And then he goes on to say, today I've given you a choice between life and death. Guess what God gives us today? A choice between life and death. And the choice of life can only be found through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's eternal life. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God and obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
But we know the story. Inevitably, instead of keeping faithful to God and obeying his commands, the judgment of God came upon them through the Assyrians and through the Babylonians. And they were exiled throughout the whole empire of Babylon. And that exile continued for many, many thousands or hundreds of thousands of them through the years when the Medo-Persians took over and then the Greeks took over and then finally the Romans had come to power. They were still throughout the whole of the empire. Some had migrated back, rebuilt the temple, fortified the walls around Jerusalem. But many stayed abroad. Finally, Habakkuk learned that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his good purpose for him. Now, we oftentimes, or let me just say this, I oftentimes hear people stop, God causes all things to work together, period. (laughs) We like to leave off the other part because we don't like to have the responsibility of having to do anything for God to be good to us. But the reality, the reality is God is good to us no matter what. He doesn't always give us what we deserve. That's called mercy. And he gives us what we don't deserve, and that's called grace. But we all deserve punishment for all have sinned and fall short of the glorious standard of God. Even me... Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, when they were alive, any of the holiest people on the face of the earth, except for Jesus who had no sin, which is why he became the sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. Elizabeth Achmeyer writes concerning Habakkuk's final prayer. Listen to what she says. Destruction and violence still mar his community, Habakkuk's. Strife and contention still arise. Nations still rage and devour those weaker than they. The arrogant still rule. The poor still suffer. The enslaved still labor for emptiness. And false gods still are worshipped in the earth. But Habakkuk knows who is working his purpose out. The unseen behind the turmoil. And Habakkuk now knows that the end of it all will be So what he does, knowing the end of it all, he sings a magnificent song of trust to close out his book. God didn't give him the answers that he wanted. Babylon's going to come and attack and wipe out the nation of Judah. I've contended long with them, Habakkuk. I've given them centuries And generation after generation, they've continued to mock me, to sell themselves to these other so-called gods that don't even exist. They sacrifice their children on altars of sacrifice. They worship the gods of Baal and Asherah with sexual deviance that goes beyond anything your mind can conceive. Have those gods arisen in our country today? The gods where we worship nature like the gods of all. The waters that flow, the rain that comes, the storm, the lightning, the sun. We call it Gaia. Do we worship Mother Earth? What about Astra, Ishtar, 
you know, the cult gods of sexual deviance. Now, they would not call them sexual deviance then, but that's just where they had cult, cultic prostitutes. Did you know in those traditions that gender was skewed? Ishtar, I've read a book just recently about this. It's super cool to read the history behind all of this. But Ishtar was a female goddess in the line of Ashtoreth and Aphrodite that were manly looking. They they took on the appearance of men and men would take on the appearance of women. Men would castrate themselves to become like women and it was their worship to Ishtar. We think there's anything new under the sun. We're fooling ourselves. And the God of Molech with infant and child sacrifice to their tens of thousands of children murdered, we put that to shame. Well, we call it a medical procedure and a glob of sales, but the reality is we don't want to take ownership for our actions. And so we do things all in the name of convenience. That's our God. Convenience. Habakkuk is setting forth the faith that knows how to live in the meantime. And the primary threat that faces him and his countrymen in 600 B.C. is that of the Babylonians. And yet, certainly, the similar passage in Jeremiah 5, verse 17, in an oracle on the foe from the north, which is Babylon, is also about the dimensions of the day of the Lord and the final judgment. In summary, listen to this. Habakkuk is saying that come what may, no matter what happens, injustice and violence, In his own society, desolating foreign invasion, God's destruction of the wicked in his world, nevertheless, he will be faithful and the faithful like him, that they can rejoice and and even exult because God is their salvation. We still in America, as the church, don't have it as bad as many others across the globe. We aren't driven to meeting in underground churches. We aren't driven to places where we meet in secret. I don't know how much longer it'll be, but if things keep going on the course they are, is it possible God's judgment can come to us? It starts in his house first. In the Old Testament, judgment came upon his people before it came upon foreigners who did not know him. And you can see judgment starting to peer and peek its ugly head into our Christian communities as the mighty fall. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. In a leadership journal article in the spring publication of 2000, um, a man by the name of Earl Weiler writes this article. He tells of two men who grew up best friends. He writes, though Jim was just a little bit older than Philip, 
and often assumed to be the role of leader, they did everything together. They went to high school together, they went to college together, and after college they joined the Marines and by some unique series of circumstances they ended up being sent to Germany together where they fought side by side in one of history's ugliest wars. And one sweltering day during a fierce battle amid heavy gunfire, bombing, and close quarters combat, they were given the command to retreat. And as the men were running back, Jim noticed that Philip had not returned with the others. Panic gripped his heart. And Jim knew if Philip was not back in another minute or two, then he probably wouldn't make it. Jim begged his commanding officer, please, sir, you've got to let me go back and get my friend. But the uh, commanding officer forbade the request, saying it would be a suicide mission. But risking his own life, he obeyed his commanding officer to go back after Philip. His heart pounding, he ran into the gunfire, calling out for Philip every step of the way. A short time later, his platoon saw him hobbling across the field, carrying a limp body in his arms. And when he got back, Jim's commanding officer rebuked and scolded him, shouting that it was foolish and a waste of time and an outrageous risk to go back for him. Your friend is dead, and there's nothing you could do. How could you be so stupid? Oh, no, sir, you're wrong, Jim replied. I got there just in time. Because before he died, his last words were, I knew you would come. Daniel was faithful when it was inconvenient in the lion's den where the Lord kept the lion's mouth shut overnight. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faithful even when it was dangerous and could have cost them their lives. Habakkuk was faithful in the face of imminent judgment, and God was and still is faithful to those who follow him even when the circumstances and situations are confusing and difficult. God is also faithful in that he sent his son, Jesus, to suffer the judgment of our sins by dying on the cross. And his last words, as I mentioned earlier, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then it's finished. And the it's finished wasn't that he was dying. The it's finished was that the work that God had sent him to accomplish had come to a conclusion. That his death marked the moment that sin of the world was taken care of. That started with Adam and Eve, that ushered in evil and violence and death into the world. That what Jesus did when he said it is finished took care of that. This is why anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, we're told in Scripture, can be saved. We don't have to go make an animal sacrifice or go through any hoops. It's belief in Jesus Christ and following him in full surrender of your life. I don't know why that's hard, but it seems to be very hard for a lot of people. It's a hard journey, but it's not a hard decision. As our worship team comes forward today, we're living in a time much like Habakkuk. The wicked seem to prosper, the righteous seem to suffer, 
But if we hold on tight to the promises of God that he will never leave us nor forsake us, there is nothing we cannot endure if God goes with us and goes before us. Even as Moses handed the reins of leadership to Joshua, we have been given the promise handed down to him. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will go with you, will go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. I've been told I don't offer the prayer of salvation often enough. If you can't hear a message of salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's no prayer of salvation that's going to save you. But let me explain it this way. It's not about a certain wording that you have to memorize and go through. It's not about the Roman road that I was raised with. And it's not about evangelism explosion or any number of tools that man can create or that scripture can pull together. It's about your faith and belief in the one true God through Jesus Christ. Now I could lead you at a prayer and I've led many people in prayers that have never stuck because it's not about words from the mouth as much as it is a change of the heart. Paul calls it the circumcision of the heart. That is what lasts. That is where true faithful action comes from as a transformation of the heart. So I offer you that transformation of the heart. And I don't need to lead you in a prayer. I need to lead you to the one to whom you must pray. And his name is Jesus. And all you have to do is call out to him, Lord Jesus, save me, a sinner. And do you know what he does? If it's truly from the heart, he says, oh, that's what I've been waiting on all along. That's, that's what I've been waiting Now I could do amazing things in you and through you. It's a journey, and it'll be tough at times. And you're going to stumble and fall. You'll be bloody and bruised, and it's not going to be easy, and you're going to feel like you have these contorted features and that you're lame. And what I mean by lame is that you can't walk or traverse the ground on which you walk through the difficult situations of life. But if God is for you, there's no one else who can be against you as long as you surrendered your life to him. And those of you who have known Christ but haven't been living up to your potential in Christ, today is the day. He's calling you to a deeper walk of faith. He's calling you to a higher plane of existence. And it's going to be hard. But He is good. And He loves you. So surrender. Don't fight anymore. Just surrender. Father, that's what we do today. We surrender. You know, every time, God, I try to do this life in my own strength and thinking I'm laying out a course for myself that is good and wholesome, even as a believer in Christ, I botch it and I mess it up. 
When you're not coming through for me in a time that I think you should, and I jump ahead of you, God, please forgive me. Have mercy on me. I know your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, but God, as I strive to become more like your son Jesus, help me, God, to follow in faith and belief even when the way is dark and I can't see. Tune my ear to hear the still, small voice of the good shepherd leading me through the dark valleys. And like Habakkuk, God, let my song be a song of praise to the one in whom I trust. Even when there's no clear, clarity to the difficult situations I'm going through. Forgive me where I failed you. Father, today I surrender all. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.